And a very warm welcome to the Bar Stewards Inquiry Sunday Sermon. Hope you enjoyed the new theme track there. My name's Lee Keys of systembet.co.uk and joining me as always to chew the fat to this very exciting edition where we've got lots of questions and we do thank you for this because it makes for a very, very entertaining show coming up. It's John Lang as always of John Joe's Blogspot. Welcome, John. Bow, bow, chicka, bow, bow, bow. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And certainly last but not least, it's Law Malvo from Twitter, my, my very good friend, Chris. Good afternoon, Chris. Good afternoon, Lee. Now, hopefully, we'll, we're going to have some laughs to come because, I, I, like I said, I do thank our listeners for the questions today. It makes for a very interesting show. So, without further ado, I'll get on with it. And by the way, the title credits today are dedicated to John Nolan for his uh, 70s porn jibes on Twitter. Oh. That our flagship theme tune on a Friday, he says, sounds like a 70s porn sort of music vibe. So, I thought we'd give him some proper 70s porn yeah. on this sermon. Do right. You know, title of the porno film from whence it was extracted i do know that you can find it on youtube it actually says unreleased 70s porno music featuring ron jeremy oh (laughs) (laughs) yes his stock has plummeted recently isn't it yes Mm. yeah i mean (laughs) is he what is he still alive Uh, yeah i think he's looking at like jail time i think uh a number of other I think that's the least of his. I think he'd want AIDS, given the nature yeah. of the allegations that have been made against him in the last few months. I think, uh, uh, put it this way, I think he had Congress with these young ladies without just relying on his charm and his enormous penis, put it that way. I dare anyone to, to think of Ron Jeremy and not think of hairy chest and tash. I mean, it's arch-typical look. And I'm not going into detail about <laughs> what anyone thinks about his other features. But anyway, cancel this. We're going to start with a review of Saturday's Racing which featured, let's be right, I mean, Pumpkin gets a lot of slating sometimes from this podcast, like many trainers do. (laughs) But I think it's fair to say, chaps, old Pumpkin really did have a good crack today. And I think he should be sort of... Yeah, you know, applauded for that, for sending out the, the artillery and making it quite interesting. John, John, what's your thoughts on Pumpkin sending out his, his Sunday best uh, this weekend? Well, he, it was all right, but he went and put his dick in the blender at the end, didn't he, when he said that um, Brave Man's game was short for that race. Oh, I've left a lot to work on. Ah, you fuck. Well, I mean, if, if you're analysing that, you basically, if that's the case, I mean, you may as well run it in Gold Cup. You may, yeah. yeah, you may as well go for the goal because that surely, assuming the other two have run somewhere near, and even if they haven't, or you, you're still looking at, at sort of early to mid 160s for that performance today because there was a little bit in the locker. So add on for fitness, you're gonna gonna go close in a Gold Cup. But yeah, it was a smashing performance from Brave Man's game. I didn't have any bets myself, but I was pleased to see that happen because he is a favourite of mine. He, you know, I did. I said earlier on one at Pods earlier season that I think he was wasted over hurdles. He, he's just, he's just so athletic. So he's a natural jumper. He's a, he's a natural physical chasing specimen. I, I hope he hands uh, the Irish asses to them on a plate at the Fez and. 
that performance today certainly doesn't weaken his credentials. It's probably the best piece of form on offer over here and over there uh, so far of offences this season. So I do hope that, that Brave Man's game can get the ball rolling for uh, the Brits this year at the festival. Now, which brings on to a question, Darren... Can Britain win a race at the Cheltenham Festival? I think not, he says. What's a statement that is? We, I think we've seen the Arkle winner today in Edwardstone. Thoughts, chaps? Well, you know, sure, we can win a race. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, got, I mean, all right. The Supreme Novice might be looking more dodgy now because obviously you've got Dysart, Dynamo. There's Mullins that can certainly muddy the waters in the Supreme Novice for Popeyes, Constitutional, and uh, John Bond. But I'll tell you what, I, I said this morning that, see, the, the Arkle winner, I, I believe, is we've seen it today. And I, it's not, done nothing to change my mind. Because Edward Stone's not flashy. He doesn't do anything flashy. He, he hasn't got the electric turn of foot. He doesn't go whoosh. But he's a tank, and he does, He just basically gets on with things. And he's at his children, not he? Yeah, I think that'll stand him in crack instead because where some horses won't run the race in the Arkle for various reasons, he will he will run his race. I genuinely think what a, if something you know can run to more than that, then fair play. But he's my ideal winner of the Arkle after watching in the Kingmaker. But I knew that anyway. I, I think he's the best horse this season over two miles. The performance at Sandown. Uh, backed up by the performance here again, Warwick. Where I don't think that's his ideal track because the quick fences, etc. He's more of a grinder type where he'll come off a good pace and just power up that hill. And he's my ideal winner of the, the Arkham. So Edward, it's team Edward Stone. So as I said, I think the Brits have, have certainly got chances, a, a lot better chances than what I think people have sort of given them. So Darren, absolutely the Brits will win one race. I mean, yeah, the Irish will be juiced up come fez, fez time as always. We'll be prepared for that. But I do think that... Um, Edward Stone and uh, Constitutional, etc. That they've got big chances to get on the board for the Brits. Right. So looking at today's action, then obviously we've just sort of touched on Brave Man's game, so we don't need to go there. We don't really need to cover the the scrap. Poor Neverlander's Corda Leon bet. Did that dog it, John? Do you think Corda Leon? I got the impression he didn't want to get there too soon, and ended up getting there too soon. <laughs> I like how you said that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was the feeling I got from uh, the riding area. I just thought, oh, don't know, look at this. He's, he's got there a bit, so, and sure enough. Plus, I'd, I'd anchored it with a few quid as well, so apologies now. <laughs> I'm saying it. I'm out of form. And uh, I anchored Paul Nev's bet as well, I confess. So, yeah, it was bad. And it, it was big prices in running throughout. It was like 10s, 11s, 14s. You know, I kept filling my boots and then... It was almost going all right, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah there was no, never, any, never, never any damage. But poor Nev. It was a quality nap and a bit unfortunate not to collect. The Denman chase. Now, this is annoying me because the Tizard snout popped up on the bar steward's threads and, you know, giving it the big... Ooh. The Tizard snout, as I've said before, he's been on the chase of the Tizard snout. He got beat. But he went on the ITV's chase in his pink and white top. He's the piss guzzler as well. Guzzles it out of a kettle, John, doesn't he? You know, like pours it in his mouth He's sideways. He's a bastard. He is. This shows him up for, for what he is. Tizard has been shitting winners these last few days. Yes. Where is the Tizard snout? Yeah. Barstow's listeners needed him. We all were waiting for these good bets. And, yeah, yeah. And Eldorado Allen pisses up in the Denman, Denman chase. And he's nowhere to be seen. I've no doubt he'll pop on a thread 
now now we've called him out, and I've no doubt he'll pop up and say he's backed it. But Eldorado Allen winning the Denman Chase from Royal Pagai, bored Deserbo in third. He's very bored now. If you remember last season with Clan Deserbo, John, he was perked up by the old sheepskins, and he put probably one of his career best performances up at Aintree when he just blitzed the field and then beat Al Borfoto at Punchestown in their backyard. So he, he was clearly enjoying life back in the spring. However, I was disappointed with him in the King George's fin- finishing effort, if I'm honest. And then I think that just rubber stamped it, that he's very, very bored with life at the moment. And I think the blinds are coming on for Aintree and Punchestown this spring. I've never really talked to those, to be honest. I don't think he's an outstanding specimen physically. He's like what a lot of people had uh, complimented him by saying he's an athletic-looking chaser. I don't think he's got much of a front end on him myself, and he's never really appealed physically. He's not one for me under any circumstances. I've never really said he'll win that. But don't you find Tizard Yard completely unfathomable? They're one of those yards that you just can't, get a handle on at all. I, I'm not sure whether it's me or, or, or whether, whether they actually don't know what they're doing. I know everyone sort of said, oh, yeah, they're fantastic, but I, I don't know. I don't know whether they've just got really, really lucky with the patronage they've enjoyed when they had a, a really purple patch a few years back and got big owners in spending big money. I have no faith in them at all. I just don't know if they're any good or not. I just, I don't know. You know, look, maybe they are, but I can't seem to get a handle on them at all. The other thing as well is the time was, was pretty good, looking at the time of the race, comparatively to, say, the two-mile chase, for example, the game spirit. Game spirit was slow by three seconds, and this was slow by three seconds, obviously over a much further distance. So the, the time does back up the runs. Like you say, very strange form, but Plander Zobo looked incredibly bored for me. He was coming off the bridle down the back as if he couldn't be bothered. That was get out stakes for anyone that had bet him because you could see he was just coming under a niggle and you're thinking you shouldn't be niggled really with Eldorado Allen in front of you no. and Imper- Imperial Aura. Eldorado Allen is rated 155, Imperial Order or 159. So if you're coming off the bit, you're a bit bored with life. And so I'd say the headgear is the only chance for Clan to come back to last spring's form, which, by the way, it's not beyond the realms of possibility. It's just that they're not betting propositions, are they, John? No, they're not. You can't bet my confidence at all. And... that seems to be the the case at the minute with the three mile chases. That you know, I mean, there was that race in Ireland last week. Um, now for them, ran like there was something wrong with them. Yeah, you know, I think the the picture is really really muddy going into the Gold Cup. I know it is certainly. It'd be interesting to see going going into the Gold Cup. Late market moves could be interesting because I I genuinely believe if it's a sort of a a difficult year to win a Gold Cup, I always think late market moves are good because they know they've got the horse spot on. And I think that's that means a lot, like, because literally you, you could be rated 170 and run to 150 if you're not quite right. And that's where the late moves for the Gold Cup could be interesting. But we go on to the game spirit chase. Obviously, not. I made the point on Friday that this wasn't a great race, really. An interesting race, a good betting race, but just not really whatever won, you weren't going to be bouncing. And I think, I think after we'd watched it, we got the same opinion, John. Correct. The only conclusion I drew from the race was that Hitman shouldn't run over Tom Mail again, really. 
Why do you think that? Is it just hasn't got the gears for it? I don't think so, no. Yeah. I think it's desperate to tell now. Yeah, no, probably like a fair point there. Do you remember when um, Hitman ran against that little speedball of skeletons at uh, last year? What do you call it? All Mankind. Yeah, yeah. Uh, at Sandown in the uh, Henry the Seventh, and All Mankind just literally blitzed it for pace. Really, he just yeah. he just went off from the front, bang, bang, bang. You know, and Hitman just would were never really in his comfort gear, and he could never, never ever get it back. So. You make a good point there. Maybe they'll think about that now. Definitely not a bang two miler on that. No. I agree with what you're saying. I'm not so sure about his resolution at the moment either. Uh, that's that certainly crept into my mind if he's getting a bit fed up and bored because Yeah, you wouldn't bet on him, would you? Yeah. So then we got the Betfair hurdle, which was, was not a good race for me, as usual. <laughs> no, and um some some disappointments uh, certainly in there. And just just a question from one of our um, uh, on YouTube. Iron Smiler is a contributor on YouTube, and obviously I don't mention him very often. He, he sometimes comes up with questions, and he says, this is about the national season in, in particular. And he does mention the Betfair Hurdle. He says, the field sizes are really concerning, aren't they, chaps? 14 in the Betfair Hurdle, including something out of the handicap. There will be Christ knows how many balloted out of the county hurdle at Cheltenham, which is for far less prize money. Yet all we are hearing whinging from trainers and owners about prize money what's going on the Cheltenham obsession continuing to destroy the rest of the season an increasing dearth of two mile hurdlers due to increased flat opportunities overseas probably the Middle East probably Australia you know they like buying our 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 better Dane types you know obviously because they got the Melbourne Cup the the Caulfield Cup the Cox etc etc so literally we're losing our best talent year after year. When we used to think, oh, right, let's send one of our top two milers over hurdles, that's happening less and less. And I, and I think that's a very good point he's made because if you look at the champion hurdle picture, right, for probably for the last few years, it's been, like, really weak. It used to be, like, the champion hurdle was, like, used to be the buzz race. They're like, four, we've got, we've got three or four rockets here, blogger style. Now... It's, it's all about one mare from Ireland. And you just think, well, why is there such a... And, and I think Iron Smiler's gone a long way to explain that, John. He has, really. I mean, it, it's got to be to do with the exodus of our horses at the end of the three-year-old careers, really. I mean, there's got to be some jumping prospects that's going to us. I mean, the champion hurdle this year, it's looking like a lap of honour, isn't it, for Christ's sake? Yeah, you know, the, there's no buzz about the race whatsoever. The Supreme was a joke last year. It probably throw a decent horse up this year. You would maybe hope, but again, we're not going to get a, a big fail for it. I don't think it. The two mile early divisions in crisis. I would say. Yeah, because as you know, all the Supreme novice winners tend to be, I mean, some might make up into champion chasers, but in general, they always get further because they've been in the point-to-point field. Or the, you know, the, it's not known as a, as a speed contest. And that brings me on to another thought for Cheltenham, the racetrack itself. Why are they running the champion hurdle on the old course, which is far sharper than the new course? I just genuinely feel that it will probably be a better spectacle on the on the new course, which is a lot stiffer. It's a longer running. It requires a little bit more bit more stamina. 
than the old course, which is just literally a, a whippet track, really. And I, th- I think that might help uh, help to a degree. But, you know, it might help some of these more stouter national hunt types become champion hurdlers rather than the old course at Cheltenham, which is literally all about have you, you need that foot. If you haven't got that foot, you're a million. Istenbrack are the one over the old course, though, wouldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. But, but, but I, I, that was a Summer Lions winner, so it can yeah. be. You know, if, you, if you're a good enough staying type, you can yeah. win round there, can't you? Yeah, but I do think Iron Smiler comes up with some good points as to why we've got, especially how we've got, we've got a very a thin uh, level of, of quality horses coming through from the flat <clears throat> over the jumps because they're all getting sold for absolute fortunes, you know, to race, race abroad and, and, and no one can be bothered these days. Like the old days, you've got Cremensis and some great memories of quality flat horses coming across and I think less and less now. Absolutely. I mean, it's uh, it's really worrying for jump racing, I think. You know, I mean, obviously there's people that love jump racing far more than I do. But, you know, I mean, I, I am concerned for the sport. Yeah, it, it is. I mean, you look at the field sizes. I know that, like, national races always produce sketchy field sizes. But in general, I do think there's too much race, too much jump racing now in the summer. So it, trainers now have got options. If you've got a really nice hurdler that's never going to be Cheltenham class, but he wants good ground or she wants good ground. You've got the option now. There's there's so much racing over jumps in the summer. You can just think, well, we don't really need the winter campaign at no, any point. Anywhere, wouldn't you? Yeah, can you know we can do something different. It's, I know it sounds sounds wrong to say take choice away, but I've suggested this before that if you cut the amount of summer summer jumps racing down, good ground is available for quite large parts of the jump season because a lot of trainers have been moaning at the amount of lack of soft ground. So yes. I do think if you cut the jumps racing down in the summer, it pro- it provides bigger fields because pe- because owners and trainers aren't keeping horses back for the summer jumps. They- they're running them all the time in the winter. It'd be another little kick up the ass for Animal Aid and that as well if we did away with summer jumping because then we'd say, we could say, well, look, we didn't think it was the safest, so we'd done away with it. Well, it, it, it's so boring with with the overwatering, etc. In the summer, you know, like on these, jo- yeah. it's not meant to take place. You know, I mean, there's a reason usually why rugby unions played in the winter because it's a big mud pit fest, and you know, players would get severely injured. Uh, I would imagine playing rugby union throughout yeah. hard hard turf during the summer. You know, how, it's, many, it's bets, that- how many bets did you have late between May and September over the sticks last year? Can't think of many. I know how many I had. Nil. <laughs> Zero. For me, it's it's just not my focus at that time of year. You sort of ingrained to switch on for the winter to bet on Nash Lund, and in the summer you're ingrained to to try and find uh, Royal Ascot winners, and, and I think that's that's how it's always been. But for some reason, there's been a shift in the amount of summer jump racing. Now I don't know if that's bookmaker related or, or what, but Sundays in the summer. Fucking disgrace. Yeah, you, know, you, you get a Sunday after a, a decent Saturday when you might have had Newbury and Newmarket on or something like that. And God almighty, you've got fucking Plumpton and Worcester on on the Sunday. Yeah, you have. I mean, like, like you said, like you said, Chris, John, Sunday, you know, middle of summer, you should be having uh, two or three nice flat meetings, offering decent races, decent offers yeah. for families to go racing. And all I see is like like what you just highlighted, Worcester, 
you know, new and Abbott. They you know, can yeah. do it because they do it with the Guineas, mate. Yeah. You yeah. Know? So, I mean, why, why not have the July Cup on the Sunday instead of that fucking stupid Silver Saturday where they can't get a jockey? Yeah. No, I, I totally agree, chaps. Totally agree. He's proven it this winter how how badly racing's fixtures need looking at and uh, overhauling. Maybe the new B- chief of the BHA, John, can sort that out. Well, Rose, <laughs> Quinn's, Rose Quinn's still got a fat ass on his seat there, hasn't she? So, I mean, until we get shot of her, I don't think there's much hope for fixtures. A couple of listeners' questions. Boxing Man's been on. He says, can you discuss the absolute embarrassment of anti-post bookmaking? Look at the champion chase. 2023, for example, Fernie Hollow's eight to one, and he's out injured. Mercury won a Mickey Mouse bumper, and he's now 14 to one for the 2023 Supreme. It's a total disgrace. I mean, what I'd say there, though, genuinely, the bookmaking game's changed now. It's not what it used to be. It's not really about opinions. It literally is about trying to fleece you the easiest way they can and they've got a captive audience they know you want to bet on it they know they know you're trying for a bit of value and they're accountants now they're not opinions they don't say well that can't win or i'll give you 33s or literally will give you pennies at prices that are favorable to them because they haven't got a clue and and that's what it is now it's big business it's so different to what it used to be when I was growing up watching racing, when there was genuine opinion out there. Now there's very little opinion. It's literally corporate, which is sad. And you're right, boxing man, you're right. And I don't think it's going to get better anytime soon. Uh, Shane's been on. He said, uh, Cheltenham Festival 2022, it's turning into a blogger fest with so many sub-even money fabs. Are you tempted to perm all the all the William Mullins multis? Save our festival or grow it like Rich Richie's NFL mullet. What do we think to Rich Richie's mullet? Well, Patsy Palmer, former East Ender star, was reportedly scalped in the creation of that mullet. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, I must admit, I'll, I'll be honest, you know when, when Royal Pagai won at ADOC, there's the aftermath, Rich Richie was interviewed. I literally could not stop staring at it. You know when like you've got that little yellow square box appears on your telly and you're just following it around? He just squared on, on Richie's mullet. And I couldn't watch his face. I couldn't watch his sunglasses. I couldn't watch his hat. I just watched his mullet. <laughs> it, it, it's, the, it's the worst setup I've seen since the late, great Guy Reid, who at 165 years of age was still sporting bright ginger hair in the women's enclosure. <laughs> I love a good syrup, mate. When I was growing up on race courses and stuff, I used to love spotting a syrup. In fact, that's part of the fun, isn't it? If you if you bore with a racing, you could always go syrup spotting in the paddock and parade ring. Bad Christ, there's some bad ones, isn't there? Yeah. Well, there was back then. Back then, there was some terrible ones, some really like obvious terrible ones. Because obviously now, we, as a society, we're more conscious about as look people are more thinking, well, this doesn't look right or whatever. Back then. You know, if you got a syrup, if you didn't quite fit right, you're still good at races with it. And it, some of it would be half hanging off your head. And it's like, <laughs> well, I remember the a Wimbledon dogs. There was a, an old dog trainer called Sam Sykes who had a fine head of white hair. It was like a sort of a 99 with a flake on it. And I went to the gents one day, <laughs> home in it. I swear to God, it must have been eight foot fucking long. It was like a turban. 
And he had no shame at all. He's virtually picking it off the floor, wrapping it round his head to create this style. Extraordinary. And people had no shame, you know. Couldn't have, he, he said he couldn't afford a syrup, so he grew his hair on one side about eight foot long. <laughs> Unreal. It's like I said, it's some, some great days. Moving on, uh, Adam Norman's been on, contributor to our show. Hello, Adam. And a couple of questions, which are quite, quite interesting, really. Because, obviously, I, I run a sort of a betting service, and... and People have mooned when I've tipped up horses each way and they say, is this really value to do? And Adam Norman said, each way betting, is it massively overrated? Thoughts. Chris and John, you can give me thoughts on this. They've squeezed that one, haven't they, now? So it's never a quarter of the odds first four anymore, for example. It's a fifth the odds first four. Yeah, they've done away with that loophole. So when do you guys like playing each way, if you do like playing each way? I think, well, latterly, uh, it doesn't matter whether I bet win or, or each way. I, I'm looking for a sort of first 15 place terms in every race. <laughs> that, that would be a fair, and I'd finish 16th, I tell you. I, you know, you're right. I mean, I'm not sure the maths, but I know they've squeezed first four fifth of the odds. I mean, I don't tend to play in races at those kind of prices where, you know, you think an each way bet would be a good idea. I tend to play at the sort of the front end of the market where it's sort of, win only so I, i'm not really an each way player so uh, it doesn't kind of matter to me uh, you know in, in the long term right that's interesting because going back to my sort of teenage years and, and working out angles and stuff on each way of betting we read a sort of math program back then that said a quarter of the odds one two for five runners weren't bad and a fifth a fifth of the odds for eight runners wasn't bad in certain types of races. Obviously, I'm not just on about the thievy each way races. You know, it had to be a certain type of race makeup, and the odds had to be right to play. But apart from that, there was I must admit, mathematically, there was very little advantage to each way other than the quarter of the odds one, two, three, four used yeah. to get for six, sixteen, seventeen runners. The the problem is though. When there is a non-runner, you're goosed, aren't you? So imagine add the lot on for the each-way bet, one-fifth the odds, one, two, three, eight runners, and then there's a late non-runner and it's seven. You're on the worst bet known to man. Yeah. There is no worse bet than one quarter of the odds, one, two for seven runners. It's terrible. And likewise, in the old days, you know, you're playing the quarter of the odds, one, two, three, four, and then it becomes 15 runners and it's quarter of the odds, one, two, three. Yeah. And and all of a sudden again you're on you're on massive disadvantage. It's yeah, Adam, it's it's a good question because I think each way generally, unless you've got an angle with a horse, I you know this horse is a bit jady in a finish. You know it's got the ability, you know it's gonna gonna run its rating, it always does. It's got the race set up, you know, you've got you've got your knife and fork, your, your chips and everything's ready and ready to go. And it's like it, you've got to play each way for that cover because you know it can toss it off in a finish. I think they're the types of each way bets I would entertain because you know that you've got that safety net of if it starts to, you know, a bit, a bit like Neville's bet today, uh, on, on Saturday with Coeur de Leon. I mean, that says to me that horse has got all the ability all the ability in the world to win off 122, but it's got to fall in. It needs something else to hit the last and probably get tired for it to win for me it tossed it off on the running so that kind of bet that for me becomes value each way or place only if you like on the exchanges because it's a different type of evaluation in that you're playing for a, for a crossbar you're playing for the the horse to do what it usually does or its characteristics which i think is a different kettle of fish altogether so yeah john what, what's your view on each way 
I tend to play each way when I'm probably being an absolute wanker. <laughs> like, 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 like you have on Saturday when you tip Lintara, yeah, and you you've gone each way like a wanker. Two points on the nose gets yeah. you, and get, get, yeah, you know. When I have an each way bet just before the race, I was thinking to myself, "Why have you done this each way, you wanker?" <laughs> each you way know? wankers. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I'll I'll sort of if I've gone real deep into a race and I've thought. Two at most can beat this, and I've had a good go through the race, and I'm absolutely confident it will not be out the three. I'll play each way, um, yeah, and yeah. I feel I'm a total wanker, but most of the time I feel like I'm being a wanker, to be honest. Yeah, is it massively overrated? Adam Norman, I think the three of us say yes, it is overall. Adam Norman's second question, which will allow. Uh, Brian Hughes is not the best jockey riding in the north. Discuss controversial this one with Brian. Is he on a treble today? I think uh, your toxic. But obviously Brian's, uh, you know, a quality jockey, uh, champion jockey. Yeah. So are we saying Brian Hughes is not the best jockey riding in the north? I think Adam's leading into this that he he doesn't think he is. John, Chris. Mm. Personally, I don't give a frog's fat ass. Who is the best jockey in the north? <laughs> you never have, I know. I, know. Um, I mean, to be to be perfectly honest with you, he, he's never really been a jockey that's grabbed me at all. I, th- I think he looks very weak in the finish a lot of the time. And a lot of the time, I, this is a personal preference. I don't think I read him particularly well. He looks as though he's, he's hanging on to plenty and he's hanging on to nothing sometimes in races. Yeah. Uh, that maybe colours my judgment that I find him hard to read in running. Um, Do you think that's like a Norman Williamson kind of stuff? Well, no, he, 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 I don't know. He didn't sit pretty like Norm used to, really. I mean, yeah. Norm, you, you knew Norm was swinging off it in the band. You, you, you know, I'm, I'm not so sure with this belly, you know. It was, it was interesting where he was saying... He wouldn't be at Cheltenham because he didn't want to ride hundred to one shots. Well, if you're champion jockey elect, really, I mean, I think it shows a stark lack of ambition not to want to be at the biggest meeting of the year. Not why should you not be riding hundred to one shots, but why does nobody want you for the eight to one shots? Yeah, you know, yeah. everything has got stable jockey about. It's interesting that you know there's a reason why apart from geography, why he doesn't pick up the sexy rides. There is a, definitely a reason for it. Now, whether it's his kind of communication skills or where he's located, but there's always the reason why certain jockeys don't get the patronage that everyone in the sport says they deserve. Uh, and I, I'm not sure what that is, but he doesn't set the pulse racing, does he? Well, I mean, I mean what's remarkable, if everyone rates, rates Brian Hughes, I mean, the Popeye has had Jerry McGrath, Ned Curtis, and Nico de Bongo. I yeah. mean, <laughs> that kind of horseway. Jeez. I think that just says it all. I mean, he's, like you say, what's Brian Hughes done? It's like no rides like booked down south. You know, it's not like he can turn up at a Sandown meeting or a Kempton meeting or a, or a Cheltenham meeting, for that matter, and get all, all outside rides from... You know, from from trainers that, that that you know need a good rider. It's as if to say that no one wants him, which is 
you'd think a champion elect that's like ridden nearly twice as many winners as anybody else this year. Yeah. Could have a look at Cheltenham at the far day stage, say what's not yoked up, get on the phone and get his cell, I don't know, five or six rides with each way chances. No, he certainly are. So, Adam, I suppose we've answered you there without sort of saying yay or nay. I mean, to me, jockeys are jockeys and most of them are much of a muchness. I think you could put one or two pounds, if you're rating jockeys, you could put one or two pounds between about two or three hundred of them. You go back over a bit, Lee, you know, I mean, when, like, John Joe was based up here, he got plenty of rides at Cheltenham. Uh, Ron Ron Barry, you know, I mean, plenty of people. He was Ron Barry, you know, he was cock of the north, as they call it, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. No, no. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. Why does Brian Hughes not get rides elsewhere down south? Something for uh, everyone to ponder on. Right, moving on. Mike Oxlong has, has been on. And he's, he's, he said... Um, he's all, come on, Mike. It, it suits the show, this. Suits the, suits the title of music. The gambling review will not be as bad as feared for horse racing, he says. Well, I mean, that, that's, that will be the case, Mike, if we can get rid of this dreaded single customer view where people are demanding sorry bookmakers sorry are demanding papers your papers you know your bank accounts and your ccjs and your defaults and and you know what you spend your money on you know like porn of porn of premium all that lot we'll, we'll get to see that you don't want them to see that so we need to stop that and obviously there's an article that uh, i've wrote on bar stewards it's a three-part series and the first part's up this week uh, for you to peruse. And the second and third part will deal with a solution to this and a credible one at that. And uh, the third part will be slagging all and sundry off. So look forward to the next two parts, which uh, the next part will be available midweek Wednesday, I believe. I'll, I'll upload it uh, onto the Bar Stewards website. Um, adding to that, Shane's been on again. He says, gambling addiction and the whole industry's guilty wave has spread to Irish weekend newspapers. The Irish have been sort of like left alone by this. It's just the UK that seems to have these uh, draconian, uh, show me how much you earn before you can have a bet uh, scenario. Well, the Irish papers have got wind of it and they're peddling it now. So, I mean, when will it end? I don't know, Shane, but obviously us as bar stewards will do all we can. And certainly uh, I'm in touch privately with with a little, you know, higher-end people that can make a difference. So let's hope we can sort this out for a, a suitable resolution for all punters going forwards, because certainly this, uh, can I say, Tory government, <laughs> I mean, they couldn't sort, they couldn't, they couldn't, they can't really sort out very much, and that's what worries me. But we're certainly going to give it our best shot in terms of um, providing common sense in terms of solutions. Uh, to the problems of and, and the harms of problem gambling, which which it, it is a problem. So I hope that answers uh, uh, that case in point. Now, more serious topic before we move back on to fun, and it's uh, regarding drugs. Obviously, the, there's been some articles in the, the American press recently that has turned a few eyes. Johnny Two's been on. Uh, why do the UK racing press refuse to mention the Wesley Ward drugs violations? He's just been suspended again in the USA. Wesley Ward seems to have got a conviction like a Moore's murderer in terms of drug offences, and yet we're piling on to Bob Baffert, obviously and probably a more high-profile case, but Wesley Ward, he says, had more offences. And just to clarify this, Wesley Ward has been suspended and fined by Kentucky stewards uh, as a result of administering a, an illegal medication 
and he's been fined, a $500 fine, which is quite small. But apparently testing positive for the diabetes medication metformin um, after winning the Kentucky Juvenile Stakes at Churchill Downs on April the 28th last year. And this is, don't forget, this is a trainer that Royal Ascot seems to champion every year. He's on at the races. Every, every time it's Wesley Wars, Wesley Ward bringing over, you know, they have him as a poster boy even for Royal Ascot. You've seen him, you know, like oh, Wesley Ward's coming over with his, with his top two-year-olds. And this is a man that's got lots of drugs offences, but yet the racing media have taken to him and seem to love him in interviews and fawn over him. And yet this is a man that is constantly banned uh, for the use of uh, banned substances. John and Chris, what do we make of this? They've tied their flag to the wrong pole. In the case of Wesley Ward, haven't they? Right. I think so. Because, it's a nice though, isn't it? It's a phenomenal yeah. team. Yeah. It's got to count for something, surely. <laughs> I, mean, I like Baffert's hair and sunglasses too. Put them all together. I think you've got a great trainer there. <laughs> Hollywood. Hollywood for team. George, George Hamilton. Yeah, remember him? Christ, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he washed himself with Pledge, didn't he, to get that sort of deep, deep wooden shine. Yes, anyway. Wesley's always been very media friendly, hasn't he? You know, I mean, he'll stand there with his arm around Luke Harvey posing for a photo where Bob Baffert had kicked Luke up the arse and tell him to piss off. So, that you you know, it it does influence the media if you you are open to talking to them and that. And because he's he's been so helpful to them with features and things, I, I, I think that... They don't want to look stupid, really. I mean, if they start suddenly saying, oh, well, this fella that we used to be bigging up all the time, he's, uh, he's probably got the best chemist in America. Well, they're going to make themselves look tits as well, aren't they? We know they don't like doing that. <laughs> Certainly don't. They might extend the uh, the old casino game into Royal Ascot this summer so everyone can do the bollocks pissed up and uh, Charlie up doing it in on the Jockey Club casinos, John. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> anyway, on to uh, the other uh, point in case regarding drugs. And um, we touched on it on a on a past sermon. It's a doping uh, drug supplier that was convicted in Manhattan Federal Court. It was a chap called Seth Fishman who basically was had found a way uh, to develop drugs for equine purposes to improve performance that was undetectable by any racing jurisdiction in the world. And he, he, he was selling these drugs internationally. The FBI investigated. Massive case. Which, again, why I'm, I'm, I'm quite alarmed as to why, chaps, that the British media aren't all over this, given that the FBI he, he stated in the case that he had, he had several international clients. Now, how, how is that not possible, then, for that not have filtered into British and Irish racing, John Chris? They're frightened to death they open a can of worms here, and if they dig too deep, they'll find out about Johnny G and the real slim Sadie driving a camper van out to the middle of nowhere and stripping to the wide front and creating the racing equivalent of crystal meth. Yeah. Um, that, that's <laughs> probably the top and bottom of it. Yeah. This, to me, should be really damning for any industry in the world. Imagine you you turn racing and, and, and everything in this case is for football, right? And this chap was supplying world-class footballers with the same dope testing avoidance drug 
capabilities. So world-class footballers, would, or any footballer for that matter, was getting probably further career prospects because obviously his performance had improved massively. This would be big news in the football. The football world would go ballistic at this, right? They, they wouldn't hide this. This this would be all over Sky Sports News. This would be like a bit like Salazar did with you know for the athletics and the Russian the Russians with yeah. the with their athlete. It'd be all over the news and the world media. So why is it because it's racing? So this is a high profile case. It's there for anyone to view online. Uh, Seth Fishman, all you've got to do is Google it, read it for yourself, and you tell how serious it is. You know, the, the, this is like, this is mega. This is how to beat the system. And this is why trainers over there in America are, are on 40%, 35 and 40% strike rates. And this is serious. This is serious stuff. Yet the British media and uh, the British racing have, have not acknowledged this. No one's acknowledged The racing channels, no one's acknowledged it. There's no racing media, though, is there? I mean, it, all we have is the sort of terrestrial channels and the daily comics that is just simply one huge promotional brochure. But these aren't journalists. These are PR reps dressed up as journalists. Look, look, at, how the, look at the Racing Post. I mean, it, it's, essentially, it's essentially a student newspaper. It's full of lifestyle articles, uh, you know, pieces about why this horse is great value at 16 to 1 for the sayers, but no acknowledgement that no one can get a bet on. So there is no media. So the only expectation that any of these stories will bubble to the surface is, you know, fanciful. They're not going to because they're not journalists. They're PR reps. That's it. Yeah. John, I mean, what, what's your betting that, that Wesley Ward's the first to buy at Royal Ascot again? They'll do that because <laughs> they're lazy as well, aren't they? You know, I mean, they, they wouldn't dig anybody else out because they know he's a go-to man, so they know he'll do it. And they'll, they'll, they'll just rep repeat, repeat, repeat until everybody's sick of it, won't they? Yeah, no, absolutely. But anyway, so thanks for those those questions on those serious topics, and we hope we've uh, gone the way to sort of answer them. Well, it's hard to answer them really because we know what where the standing should be in this country. There should be a lot more outrage at this kind of thing in this country and investigations. Don't forget, the FBI will probably have records of the dealings of this Seth Fishman who he's been dealing with. They'll have all the the contacts, the the phone detail, the phone. They'll they'll know the lot. So. Why is that not in the public domain? Let, let's see if, you know, like he's ended up in Dubai, a lab in Dubai for Godolphin, etc. You know, who knows? That's that's the thing. You know, the public should be knowing, should should, should know this, that who it's gone to, who's been buying it, etc., etc. That's more important so we know where it's going and who's at it. We'll finish with some fun part. That's some serious racing business there. And Nick Davis has been on. Zill's out. We'll have Nick Davis on back on for the flat because he's a great contributor. Loves his West Ham, does Nick. He'll not be loving Kurt Zuma, though, because Nick's a, Nick's a cat lover, John. And he'll be upset at what old Kurt's done, uh, kicking the cat. But he's been on with a good question here. And, he, and this is a good hypothetical question. And uh, he said, seeing Pat Edrate like winning on the snap, oops, uh, Epsom circa 1984, if he had been stable jockey at the time, would A, Frankel ever come off the bridle? And B, what would be, what would have been his highest rating? John, I'll let you answer this. <laughs> um, well, I think Frankel would have come off the bridle because he didn't exactly piss up on debut. He only beat Nathaniel Arfalens, and I don't think Pat, in spite of Pat probably being £12 better than Tom Quayley, I don't, I don't think... <laughs> I don't think he got him to win that on the bridle, so he would have come off the bridle at some point in his career. 
Also in the Champions Stakes, his last race, I couldn't have seen him winning that on the snap either. I gave him 133 for that, by the way. I never actually got him rated his 140. I, I, I gave him his best performance, the 11 lengths demolition of celebration um, at Ascot. Queen Anne. Yeah, I gave him 139 for that. Um, that was but, stunning. Yeah, and uh, York was good as well, but I, I, I think his two best were probably over the mile. The Lockings, I think it was as well, when he baked uh, next celebration. Again, you know, it was only five pounds, but I think uh, that, that was tipped up. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it's a funny thing, isn't it? I mean, they all said Shergar would have been a lot better if Stout hadn't signed Wally up that year, and Leicester had brought him all year. They said he'd have lasted longer because Leicester had been winning a length at Sandown and Chester, and probably two and a half in the derby, and it had probably lasted to the ledger and pissed up, you know. But So it, 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 it's hard to say with Frankel because he, he was quite explosive, wasn't he? And probably had to keep a lid on as well with, for Coily, you know. Well, I, I mean, the, the Guineas, I said that. I was sat in the running office that day, and obviously I, I, I didn't play. I, I, I didn't back all day. I, I, just, I just looked yeah. at the fractions and... Or just this, just what he was doing, I'm thinking, geez, you can't do this, surely. No, you can't, you, you, you can't just for six or seven clear after. What, no. This is what is this? And I don't think he ran to a peak in the Guineas because obviously, like you just said, he's, he was explosive, and maybe no jockey could have kept a lid on him. But I mean, Queenley wasn't the best. But I, I would have preferred a, a top jockey to have been associated with Franco. I think it it, it just knocks the. The aura about us when it's a, a, a fairly moderate bugger like Quayley that's been around. You know, I mean, he nearly got him beaten in the bloody SJP, didn't he? You, you know. Yeah. Well, yeah. um, there were twice that he nearly got him beaten. He, he nearly got him beat in the St James's Palace, and he nearly got him beat in the uh, in his last race. I, I thought I, I really did think that that was a, a grave tactical error. Proper bottom the horse. In fact, it'd be one of them where you, if he was running, say, a month after, you'd have probably took him on because he bottomed him that much out in that last race. I'd have liked Pat or, or, or Fallon even to to have been riding. What, what, up, to what about Mick, Mick Kinnan, perhaps, perhaps? Yeah, yeah, I mean, another, another one. Um, I, I, I'll just tell you a, a quick funny about Pat, actually. I, I was laid in bed one night and my phone rang. It, it was Mel Britton and... Uh, he had, he had three runners at uh, Newcastle uh, two, two days hence, and I was going up to Newcastle. And he was delighted because Pat was going up to ride one for Carla Dabdo, and uh, he'd managed to snaffle him for two of his horses. And there were, I forget their names, but honestly, they were two desperate creatures. And uh, he, he, he phoned me up in the dead of night, you know, I said, I've got Pat to ride to Newcastle. And I said, oh, great, you know. So, anyway, goes up and uh, Pat rides the first and Stone Cold last, right about five lengths by the next to last. And Pat comes in and he said, uh, he said, I don't think I've ridden out as bad as this in ten years, Mel. Saddle <laughs> off and gone, you know. Anyway, he comes out again, he rides the next one. And this this is right about the same, you know. And uh, Mel's a bit despondent by then, you know. He, he didn't like it when he was having a sickness of a day, you know. So as Pat gets down, he says, 
Oh, he said, cheer me up a bit. Pat says, all right. He said, I was wrong about the first pun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, lo- love the old, love the old style humour there. Yeah, from from Jocks, etc. Yeah, I can imagine, I can imagine Pat saying that as well. Yeah, brilliant, John. Right, we'll move on to the final, fi- final funny of the show. Uncle Ernie's been on. He said, "Dick Ernie and Willie Carson." Now, there's a couple of ad- adult film racing crossover names. Any more racing crossover names that you chaps could have? River <laughs> sort of comparison to Pozzle. Well, I thought Eddie Edge, uh, conditional for Nigel Tristan Davis. It sounds like a Formula One driver, but you could just—I could just see an Eddie Edge. Playing his stuff in a good old poem movie, and and to me the the most obvious one is Hugh Horgan, uh, Hugh Horgan, which I like to call him Hugh Horgan, who rides for the Baby Jersey in Ireland. I think that's that be that that'd be just tremendous, wouldn't it? Hugh Horgan does Debbie does Dallas with with Hugh Horgan. Kind kind of like that one. I quite, quite, like, the, quite like the amateur jockey Miss Ari Horn. <laughs> Miss, uh, yeah, you can't beat it, Miss Horn. No, because we are like a bit of bossy, don't we? Oh, we do. Yeah. Marco Bossa. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Chris, any, any from your end? No, I, I, I can't, I can't think. I have to say, I, I can't trump those ones, to be honest with you. Uh, another few days, I'm sure we can come up with some, some ones for next week, I'm sure. I was looking at, like, I was trying to find a jockey in the database, like somebody called Pole, you know? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> or, or you could have you could have, you could have Thor Hammer Hansen, you know Hammer Thor Hammer, right. you know so that's a that, that's kind a of a hard name, isn't it? That, yeah. isn't it? Thor yeah. Hammer. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. Anyway, so we, so Uncle Ernie, we've caught with a few there. I uh, hope you enjoyed that. We hope you enjoyed the show. It's been quite action packed, and we thank you very much for your questions because it, it has made the show. And you can see the difference. Your questions do help us to have a lot of fun, also as well as the serious racing issues. We're back on Friday. Uh, I believe we've got a full team of four next week. After we had three this week, Quentin Franks went on a disappearing act this weekend. Uh, Valentine's Day, so he'll be on the promise. I would, I would no doubt last week. But uh, we've got a full team of four for next Friday. That's all from me, John, and Chris. We hope you've enjoyed a fabulous show. That's all from us. Bye for now. Right, the show's over, boys. Thank you very much.